Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Guys, I'm super pumped that you're here today to hang out with us in Insurance Town. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great uh, opportunity for you to hear from a good friend of mine in Charles Specht. Uh, you know, today's sponsors are uh, fantastic and they mean a lot to me. And so I want you to hear a little bit about them. So uh, don't hit the fast forward button. Just listen for a minute. <laughs> We're talking about the fastest growing agency network. Uh, and, and they are that for a reason. They have no lengthy contracts, no upfront fees, bonus and contingency sharing. Go to www.smartchoiceagents.com. Yes, I'm talking about Smart Choice. Uh, they've been with me for a little while now. And a lot of you guys have come back to me and said, thank you so much for talking about them. And you've signed up and you've got a lot of value. Whether you need one contract or 10, uh, or if you just need help uh, balancing your contracts, they do a good job of that. So please reach out to smartchoiceagents.com. Uh, also, you know, I couldn't do this show without my good friends over at CoverDesk. Uh, they do a phenomenal job with virtual assistants and they make it so easy for you to do um, because you can go to their website, you can book the demo, hear all about it. But uh, it's a beautiful way to take administrative tasks off of your plate or off your staff's plate and let someone else take care of that. And they do a phenomenal job at it. I've been working with three of them myself in the last uh, month and a half. And uh, they're just unbelievable. They're a part of your team. They're exclusive to your team. They don't work for anybody else. And they jump in with your culture and your staff. And uh, they do a phenomenal job. Go to CoverDesk.com. You can also use um, CoverDesk for quoting or for rating. Or if you have a project you want to get through or a book roll, they have CoverDesk Direct. Make sure you ask about that as well. CoverDesk.com. Uh, on to Today's show, I've got my good friend, Charles Speck, who uh, does some phenomenal things with the broker record letter. He works with agents on building that million-dollar agency, and you know he talks about that revenue. He's not talking about premium. He's talking about how to grow real wealth in a real way, and uh, he helps you do that, and uh, he's working with agents. We talk about everything from that to his ministry to just life in general. He's just a good guy. You're going to love this conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Mr. Charles Specht. Charles Specht, how you doing, my main man? Hey, man, I'm doing great, Heath. It is great to be with you today. Appreciate Dude, it is exciting. Yeah, yeah. I've been waiting on this day for a minute now since we scheduled it. I guess on LinkedIn, maybe we talked about it mm-hmm. and. uh I've been following you for a hot minute. Uh, I've listened to you on several other shows. I've listened to your show, and uh, I was just dying to get you on here. But the problem is, you've been on so many daggum podcasts. Everybody <laughs> already knows you by now, but maybe there's some people out in my audience that don't know who you are. So for those who don't, let's take a walk down memory lane. Let's tell them who Charles Speck is. Right. Like respect. Let's it. You know what? Speck like respect. That's right. So... <laughs> You know what? I was born at a very early age, and from there, I just got a little bit older every day. Um, But, you know, like most people, didn't have anything to do with the insurance business, didn't have anybody in a family who was in it. And so, you know, I was I was a baseball player. That was my thing in college. And I was just an athlete, not even a smart one, but just an athlete that was just kind of, you know, just enjoying being a a baseball player. And uh, eventually decided that I wanted to coach. I wanted to be a coach. And so I thought, well, I'll also maybe become a teacher. That way I can coach. So I was planning to do that, uh, became a substitute teacher while I was getting my credential. And then, you know, obviously you and I just laughed about respect because that's what I would say to the students, right? I'm Mr. Specht and it sounds just like respect, right? And so that was kind of the focus. But I quickly began to realize that I don't really like the idea of um, of being a teacher. I didn't feel like that's where I was called. Um, and I just kind of began to pivot. I had a friend who was in the insurance business and, you know, eventually, you know, he kind of got me in there. But, um, you know, just to, you know, I'm, I'm a married guy. I've got five kids. That's my life, right? That's where really kind of like the, re- that's the reason why I wake up. Um, but I'm also a guy, you know, has a very, like I would consider a very strong faith. It just, it means absolutely everything to me. It's the, the reason why I eventually stopped being an insurance producer. Um, I became a consultant so that I could focus more on the, on the faith part. So, you know, I, I was, again, if I could just kind of even regress a little bit more, not only did I not grow up in an insurance family, but I didn't grow up in a very religious family. I would consider very like anti, not anti-religious, but certainly non-religious. In fact, 
you know, I was one of those people that just made a lot of poor choices in life, Heath, uh, a lot of drugs, a lot of crime. I just was constantly out there living for the moment, doing whatever I possibly could. And, you know, the Lord got a hold of my heart while I was in college. And that's when I, you know, turned to turn to him and trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I would became a Christian. And from that moment on, you know, I've been wanting to have God lead and direct my life, regardless of whatever road it takes me down. And sometimes God takes me down a lot of different roads. Sometimes he takes me down the road of insurance. Sometimes he takes me down the road of ministry. Sometimes he takes me down the road of not having ministry where I'm at right now because we moved to Tennessee. So just, you know, constantly like on different roads where we're at, you know, and uh, you know, today, you know, just having been in the business since the year 2000, my whole goal is to try and help people be more successful at what they're doing because I know that it helps their families. I know that it puts food on the table. I know that it allows them to, you know, to purchase things for their children. I know that many of the people who are even my clients, you know, when they're more successful, they're able to give more to their church. And I say, you know what, I'm just happy to be a part of that. So I'm grateful for the things that I can do. I can help people win and enjoy themselves, enjoy their careers and just you know, live a better life. So I guess that's Charles, man. Mr. Charles Speck. I like that. Uh, I've got a lot, a lot of things I want to follow up in there. Uh, and I appreciate you being open about your faith. And I know if you're listening to this, we're on an insurance podcast, but the mayor is a, is a strong believer as well and an ex-pastor myself. So I'm going to let this go and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, so <laughs> let's go back for a minute on, first of all, what position in baseball? That's interesting to me. I'm a baseball Man, fan. Unfortunately, I was left-handed. So I had to play um, pitcher, first base and outfield. But if I could go. go back and be a right-hander, I'd be a catcher, man. That's what I want to be a catcher. But they don't let lefties be catchers, man. Yeah, I, I was really good at talking trash. They put me at catcher. Um, <laughs> so I I loved getting in batter's ears and talking to them the entire time and wow. throwing out your mama jokes and whatnot. And so right, uh, right. that was definitely – I was never good at baseball, but I was really good at talking trash. So um, – <laughs> and how hard is it to, to catch a ball? So right. uh, I really enjoyed that. But um, – and so being a coach, was this, uh, and I'm guessing in your early 20s, um, mm -hmm. was it, let's go back a minute to, you know, influencing people and, and the religious aspect. Of it. Was that one of the reasons why coaching was a, a, a big part of what you want to do or? You know, I would say that, thing? yeah, I mean, I, I got saved right after sort of baseball was done. You know, I did, I did five years of college. So I did two years of like junior college and then went, um, so did the five-year plan. So I was finished yeah. with baseball, but man, I was like, I really miss it. And so I just wanted to always have it be a part of I my life. You. you know, that's where my friendships were at. That's where I spent, you know, hours. And so I just wanted to, to do that. And so I just had the expectation that that's what I was probably going to do. Um, after yeah. Would you say, you know, you've talked about a lot of change in your life and a lot of the, the lessons that you've learned. And I know a lot of those are faith-based and a lot of those are, you know, around the Lord and what he's taught you. But would you say that any of those uh, things were something, some things that you learned through baseball and through sports and being a team and from coaches that have influenced your life as well? Yeah. You know what? hundred percent. If I look back on my life, you know, in various sports, I played football and wrestling and baseball and so forth. Um, I had a lot of bad coaches. And I had a lot of good coaches and I've had a lot of coaches that I can't even remember what they look like. Mm -hmm. You know, they were neither good nor bad. They were right. just, I don't remember them. They had zero influence on me. And so when I look back on each person, you know, who had negative influence, no influence, you know, great influence, it's kind of easy for me to look back and see why, yeah. right? It's like, how much time did they spend investing in me? You know, was I just a number on a roster or did they like actually ask, you know, how are you doing, Charles? You know, how are you actually doing in your work? Like what's going on in life? Like, how's your family? You know, like, did they even have conversation like that or was there just nothing? Right. right. And so there was others, you know, there were some that were just like, I would say negative coaches um, and a lot that I just can't remember. And a few, you know, frankly, who um, they were so meaningful that I would like to be like them when I grow up. Yeah. And what, why would you say that? What, what's some, what are some of those traits and things that they had that you wanted to be like as you grew up? Right. Um, two in particular had okay. two. It was a, it was a, basically my high school baseball coach and my high school uh, football coach, okay. um, two different guys, but man, they, they actually were really focused on excellence in everything. Yep. Every drill had a reason and a purpose. It wasn't just to do it. It's that, you know, in this particular drill, you act like the ball is live and you have the opportunity to stop a touchdown. You're hitting yeah. that ball on that tee for a reason. 
you know, every single time you swing the bat one more time, it's going to get you closer to getting a hit in a real game. And so I would just say like that focus on excellence in just the tedious repetition was probably yeah. like one of the more important things that I've taken away in my life is in sports. Yeah, that's uh, I love that you used the word excellence there because that was one of the things that I played basketball in high school and college. And one of the things that, you know, we talked about was commitment to excellence. And that was mm. like a huge I think that was a Raiders slogan, too. But right. Uh, back when they were the Oakland Raiders or the Los Angeles, whatever. But, um, right. you know, I love the excellence and everything. And I love that you talked earlier about, you know, that, uh, you know, some of the things in your life that meant a lot to you was influencing people. And, you know, I, I think as we parlay some of that, as we're on an insurance podcast, you know, I know you, you, uh, you've, you've been in the agency world and you consult with insurance agencies. Uh, and I know you're, you talk about the sales side of it, but do you ever, uh, get into it or see some things in their correlation with working with their staff and influencing staff and ask, like you said, you know, and I think a lot of people listening to this might be able to, you know, you know, glean something from this to say, how many times do you sit down with your staff and say, how's your day? Mm. How's your work? How's everything going? Do you mm -hmm. see much of that? Is there anything you could talk to about that? Yeah. You know what? I, when you look at like different producers who look, they're going to be a lifer at that agency. They're just not going to leave. It's because the culture, it's because yeah. of the relationships that they have, right? It's not because there's a better commission split or they've got you know access to this one carrier, whatever it is. It's because of the relationship. And usually people leave not because they you know don't like the agency, but they had a bad manager. That's usually why people will leave an agency. And a small agency, it's usually like the main owner, right? The main CEO, him or her. They're either you know, really good at conversation and just building those relationships or they're really not. Um, so I would say that, you know, when it comes down to that, you know, the, the agency owners who go out of their way to really get to know the individual producer and what causes him or her to tick, you know, what's that, their why, if you will, what gets them out of business, why are they even in the business? If they can really understand that and begin to foster, you know, foster that communication towards that, encourage them in that area, they're not going to want to leave, right? You're going right. to have the best culture you can possibly have. Yep. You don't come across as just a number. You're exactly right. Uh, and I love that. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's a huge part of, you know, being in an agency world uh, outside of, you know, just the sales and the closing deals. I think having a good team around you. I know one of your things you talk about is, you know, being that million dollar producer and being, you know, making all that uh, that money, so to speak. But at the same time, you've got to have a good team around you and you've got to have sometimes multiple account managers to handle the amount of business that you've got. Uh, for your book of business. And I think that that's a huge part of it. And I, I would love to see, you know, the old adage of why can't CSRs and account managers and producers all get along. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see that, you know, kind of go away that we had that whole, you know, conversation. And I think that's a big part of it is, mm -hmm. you know, being a good teammate. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a good teammate, nobody's going to want to talk to you. Right. And if they're not going to want to talk to you, they're not going to want to work with you. They're not going to want to go on and join appointments with you. You know, they're just, they're not. So everything I believe comes down to relationships, right? You know, yeah, how, are yeah. you, how are you treating people means how you're going to be getting treated. Yeah. Um, and I think even, you know, sometimes being able to sit down with your account manager or CSR or whatever title you give them to say, Hey, how's your plate looking today? Is there anything to help you with, you know, and getting outside of, you know, you're just a producer, you know, there may be times you say, Hey, I, I can help with this claim or I can follow mm -hmm. up with this, or I can type up the certificate for you if I need to. Yeah. You know, if they don't feel like you're like, they're valuable to you, they'll treat you like a number. Yeah. hundred percent. And if they're treated, if they feel like they're treated like a number, or if they really are, they'll find somebody else to work for. 100%. Yeah. And you're only good as your, as your, your teammate. Uh, and so I think that that's a big part of being a, a large producer, as you speak about, and that millionaire producer. I think that's a big part of that is having a team around you. And so many people think that, oh, I can do it myself, or I don't need that team, or I don't need the people behind me. And I think that's a, a huge falsity that we've got to get rid of. Yeah. I don't really know of any successful producer who does everything him or herself. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, tell you, back when I was a producer, I literally never had a user ID or password to get into the system, you know, the agency right. management system, because I didn't want to have to do it. And I right. knew that if I did do it, I was going to do it so much worse than the people who were the actual service people, that right. it was going to be a subpar product I was going to put out there when, you know, their actual job is to do that. They are the back door. They are making sure my clients don't leave. 
and I want to empower them to be able to do it. I don't want to get involved because if I do it, it's going to be an inferior product. It'll just be an inferior servicing uh, relationship going forward. And so I just leave it up to the pros. If I was the producer, then I was the one who was in charge of the front door. Uh, but when it came to the servicing, I didn't want to have anything to do with like that part because I just knew I wasn't good at it. They were good at it. They were experts at it. Right. You talk about, you say being good at it. And obviously you built a strong book and you mentioned earlier in the interview. And again, this is all unscripted folks. So I'm, I'm going off the top of my head. So if I ramble a minute, I'm just getting my thoughts together. Um, so, but so, you know, you talk about, you were really, obviously you were really good at it and you built this big book, but then you said you kind of left that to focus more on your, your relationship with Christ and your relationship with your family mm -hmm. and building five kids, man, that's you're a busy guy. And uh, <laughs> right. it, it takes a strong mother and father and a good foundation to build that family. What was that like for you? What, what led you to that decision? And how did you come to that? If you don't mind talking a little bit about that openly? Yeah. You know, so it's well, again, one of those things where I just went down a lot of different roads in my life. Right. Yeah. And from the very moment of like, when I became a, a believer, a Christian in college, um, I you know, like had a complete change in like what I wanted to do in life, right? I was actually planning on being a psychologist. I was planning to get my master's degree. Um, I was going to be Freud. I was going to like interpret people's dreams for $250 an hour. That was my goal. No joke. Right. That was the plan. I was going to get a master's and eventually a doctorate in psychology or psychology or psychiatry. And that was what I was going to do. And then everything kind of changed. I just decided, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Now I really want to kind of like learn more about, you know, where I'm going to go in eternity. Like that just became like my focus. Like I, I had just less of a desire for the things of the world. God changed the price tags, if you will. Things that were once expensive to me didn't matter anymore. Didn't want them. And so I just decided that I wanted to do something different. So I sort of always was involved in ministry. I was of, I was a chaplain in the jails um, for about eight years while doing insurance. So I would go and just preach on the weekends, right? Uh, I was busy planting a church. So I was a church planter, you know, a small church. Um, you know, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, I've been an associate pastor at a small church. I was a senior pastor for about seven years. You know, while doing insurance, I was um, an adult ministries pastor at a large multi-site church, you know, with multiple locations. So, and so just doing ministry while also doing insurance. But when I finally came to the point where I thought, okay, I really want to do you know, senior pastor. I want to spend more time doing that. I just knew that it wasn't going to work being an insurance producer. Like I couldn't be handling, you know, Billy Bob Plumbing's workers compensation and then having someone from the church came, you know, come up to me and say, pastor, I need to meet with you. I couldn't say, I'm sorry, but Billy Bob's got his, you know, work comp policy coming <laughs> up and I can't meet with you. Like that's right. just not going to work. Right. That just couldn't work. So I knew that I was going to have to make the switch out of the production side. So I got out of selling insurance specifically so that I could focus on what I would call full-time ministry. Um, so when I, got, I, when I got out of the selling side, I still had to put food on the table for the family. So I opened up my consulting company so that I could have freedom of schedule. I could kind of make as much time as I wanted for um, you know, consulting and do zero if I wanted to or do a lot more. And so it has like increase and decrease over the last really 12 years now based upon what I'm doing in ministry. Ministry is like the focus right now. I'm on a, on a downtime because we just moved from California to Tennessee, and so I don't know anybody here. We're we're just we just found a new church, right? So I'm just right now focusing on insurance. I'm just all in. Um, this is kind of where I'm at, putting food on the table. But my heart's desire is for ministry, and so I will do it as much as I need to. But when the, the Lord opens the door in regards to ministry, I'll pull back on permission sales and do what you know God wants me to do. So. I would tell you, like, if I kind of really look back on it, this is the thoughts that was going through my head, Heath. I yeah. remember, like, just on a walk, and I, I started thinking, what really is the eternal value of me um, winning more inland marine policies? That's what went through my mind. I remember it, like, specifically. Like, if I write more inland marine policies, does that make any dent in eternity? Does that do anything? Like, right. yes. I mean, I, I fully believe that God, you know, blesses diligence and all of that. But I started thinking, but I really want to help people on where they're at. I don't want to just sell another insurance policy, you know, and have that client for three years. I just wanted to do more than that. Right. And so that really, like, as I was having that kind of like internal philosophical discussion in my own mind about inland marine policies, um, I just felt like that's why I needed to get out of selling insurance and get into ministry more. That was right. really how it all kind of came about. And, uh, you know, with that being said, um, I, I really do feel like 
and I can relate to you a lot on this. I went the other route, uh, and a lot of my listeners know this about me. I, I was a pastor first and then left full-time ministry to go into insurance because I felt like I could be effective in a world that doesn't necessarily have the most Christ influences mm. or religious influences. Whether I know I have a lot of people that are you know Jewish listening or other religions from other countries. So whatever that religion may be, you know, I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, one way or the other to listen to my show, but I think you could still focus on those things while being an insurance. So yeah. um, for me personally, I wanted to try to be as much of a positive light in the insurance industry as possible. And uh, I, I've spoken to uh, a lot of people in, in other spiritual realms that feel the same way and other religious backgrounds that feel the same way. So, um, you know, I, I totally relate to you from the other side of it. And I think you could do the same thing with your consulting as well. I mean, you're probably doing that. And from what I understand, um, you consult with companies like Billy Bob Plumbing, for example, not with agents, correct? Um, do both. So I have like okay. two sides of the coin. So when I when I got out of the selling side, I opened up my consulting company and it's constructive risk. And so constructive risk is the side where insurance buyers, mostly construction companies, would hire me to be their offsite risk manager to help them with different aspects of loss control and safety. And then I would be the one to handle the insurance renewal process with their agents. So I'd make sure that their agents, you know, were going to the right carriers, that they had access to the carriers and so forth. And I would do that on behalf of the insured because, you know, he or she was busy and frankly didn't know how to do it. Um, they didn't know what they didn't know. So that was what I did for like the first, I'd say three years, two and a half, three years. And then I made the switch to working more with agents because I just had so many agents who I just felt they just didn't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they just didn't know how to differentiate themselves. They were really just a quoting factory. They couldn't figure out, you know, what was really what the insured needed in order to make a switch from them to somebody else. So I began making that pivot about three years into that, where, you know, now I work with insurance agencies and agents kind of all around the country and even some international. Uh, with really just kind of a permission-based sales that really has a focus on the broker of record letter. So you, you've mentioned permission, and I know, you know, uh, I, I call myself a member of Permission Nation because you talk about it on your show. Oh, boy. Uh, love it. And yeah. <laughs> if you haven't ever listened, um, he's got a great podcast. It's on the agency. Intel no. What is it called? Agency this? Intelligence. Yeah. Network. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, in fact, I listen to a lot of the shows on that network. Uh, so shout out to that network. And uh, but and tell us the, the, the name of your podcast when it comes out. And then we'll mm -hmm. dive in a little bit more about permission. Yeah. So the Millionaire Insurance Producer Podcast is the name of the podcast. Um, you know, and it's it, it if if all is going well, it comes out twice a week. Okay. If all is going well, yeah. <laughs> depending upon what's happening in life, I was having a for a while there. I wanted to put it up to three episodes, but right now just kind of expect two episodes a week, to Tuesday and Thursday. And really, the focus is just providing tips, you know, to help yeah. insurance agents, you know, sell more insurance. So that's the focus. Um, so the Millionaire Insurance Producer Podcast, and the name of my company is Permission Network Insurance Agency, LLC. Um, so it's actually an insurance agency. I don't represent any carriers and I don't sell any insurance. Um, it's just a different model, but I'm an insurance agent. Um, I work with insurance agencies, predominantly work with insurance agents. Um, so I don't usually even work with all of those, but you know, just been doing that now for the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years. There you go. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, I think that's huge because one of the things that I talk to agents about, and I've been doing my own form of consulting, you know, throughout my career as a marketing agent, or a marketing rep, and as a territory manager and things like that. And then even as an agent, uh, it's funny, uh, even as a producer, my partner or my boss, so to speak, whatever you want to call it, he would get so mad at me because I spent more time working with agents than I did selling insurance sometimes right. <laughs> because I've just always gravitated towards that. But one of the things that, um, you know, I try to talk to agents about is one of the things you talked about, which is standing up, standing out within mm -hmm. the crowd and making sure that you look different than the other agent down the street, or you mm -hmm. talk different than the agent down the street, or you have your own message, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you read the, um, the book traction, you know, he talks about, you know, having, you know, some of those things to, to make sure that you're different in um, your method, whatever the Charles Specht way or the mm -hmm. Heath Sheeran method of doing things, sure. whatever that might be. And so you found a way to do that with permission. And I would love to uh, hear a little bit more about that 
for those who haven't heard you on 6,000 other podcasts and haven't heard mm-hmm. you wonderfully talking about this on your own show, tell me what that means to you, what, you know, Permission Nation's about, what uh, Permission Network, what that means to you. What are you asking permission for? Yeah. Permission is everything. You either have it or you don't. You either have the insured's express permission to represent them or you're just an amateur throwing mud against the wall to see what sticks, period, right? So, you know, I'm known... I tend to be known for the broker of record letter because it's something I talk about a lot, but it really is just a tool. It's a tool to use to bring about a certain result that you want. But nobody gives you the broker of record letter or you don't win, you know, in a quoting process if you don't have the insured's permission. So I would tell you that, you know, when I was getting out of the selling side and opening up my coaching, I probably took about three minutes just, or three hours, excuse me, three months trying to figure out what I was going to do, right? How's this going to work, right? Um, what's it going to be called? What am I going to focus on? Um, and it took a while for me even to like really figure out, okay, I'm going to just really focus on the broker of record letter. But permission became something of a focus because I don't know if you're familiar with Seth Godin, the author, um, you know, his book tribes page 35 changed my life. Um, that really got me out of the selling side and helped me to understand, you know, how to repackage something a little bit different. Now, he wrote a book called Permission Marketing, which is really kind of focused on marketing that people want to hear, right? They, they will give you the permission to like, let you speak to them. Um, that's a little bit of a different definition of what I, what I refer to in regards to permission. It's also not like the permission, like I'm giving you permission to go out and sell insurance. You know, I'm giving you permission to do what you want in life. It's not that either. It's that the permission, we're not going to move forward with our insurance buyer until they give us the ability to do what we want to do, right? Unless they give me the ability to represent the carriers that I want, I'm not going to move forward. Unless they, you know, have decided they're going to use me, there's no reason for me to go forward. So it's that idea of permission to represent them in the way that you want. And frankly, nothing says you have my permission like a signed broker of record letter, right? They sign your broker of record letter. You obviously have permission to represent them going forward. And so the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and that's really kind of why I focus on permission sales rather than any kind of other sales, right? Not, not like pushy sales. Um, you know, just it's really all permission based, trying to get the insurer to see the value we have, the the intended outcome. And so they say, yep, that's what I want. Please do that. Make it happen. Once you have that, then I say, then we do things. Then we go get lost runs. Then we put together a submission. But we're not going to muddy the waters, you know, because I think it's even quasi unethical. I think it's quasi unethical to put together a submission, send it out to the marketplace and the insured hasn't given you any permission. They don't know what you're doing. They don't know which carriers you're going to. That's not a very ethical approach. Permission sales is a much better approach. And frankly, to even take it a little bit of a step further, you know, the industry statistic is around 92%. So let's just call it 90, that whoever controls the policies is going to win the business at renewal. They're going to keep it. If you decide to go through just a normal competitive quoting process, you're actually helping the incumbent agent. You're not bettering your position. You're allowing them time to go and, and submit to the markets. Um, the insured might even, for whatever reason, call them and say, "Hey, can you give me my loss runs?" Um, so they're gonna like they're gonna tip them off. Well, you're just much better off not doing anything until the insured like has trust in you, and they want you to represent them going forward. And then asking for the broker of record letter is the the next obvious step once you have the insured's permission. Yeah, I've even seen in in the past of even in my own instances uh, to where I've shopped again, not using the permission method early on in my career, I've shopped someone's insurance and then the incumbent AOR is my quote that I even got them. So, I mean, it works against you if you don't, but I I would, I want to take this to an elementary level because I've got agents all over the country that may not be familiar with the broker record or Mm -hmm. the agent of record. First of all, um, are those words interchangeable agent record versus broker record? And tell us a little bit more for those who may not know what that means to in sure. a high level. Yep. yep. So for the most part, yes, broker of record letter, agent of record letter, the BOR, the AOR, they're basically kind of the same thing, right? So if you're an insurance producer, Heath, and you've got a client, you know, Billy Bob's Plumbing, right? Um, they've got a general liability auto workers compensation. Well, you are the broker of record on that policy. Okay. If I came in and I said, Billy Bob, I've got a great plan. I've got a service, you know, 12 month time on a service is here. I want to take over your insurance. If he signs that piece of paper, it's the broker of record letter. It essentially transfers those policies away from Heath and their agency to me and my agency. And we are now the broker of record on those policies. Okay. So that's typically how the broker of record, the BOR, the AOR works. Um, 
Sometimes an insurance carrier won't accept the broker of record letter. Occasionally it happens. Um, sometimes you don't represent the market that they're with. That sometimes happens as well. Um, but for the most part, broker of record letters are typically available out there in the PNC world. Sometimes carriers will only accept them within a certain time frame before the renewal. Sometimes they'll send them, accept them throughout the year. Um, I've even worked with agents where they don't represent the carrier. And I say, get the signed broker of record letter. We're going to work on that. You then put together a plan. You then present the, the signed broker of record letter to the carrier. You know, let them know that the intention is to try and keep it with them at all possible. If not, you're going to move it. You know, if they don't take it, they're going to move, you're going to move it to a different carrier. So the way the insurance carrier looks at it is that if it's a decent enough account, uh, they're more than likely going to give you the, the appointment in order to retain that, that policyholder. So anyway, the broker of record letter is for all intents and purposes, a hassle, a pain, which is why most insurance agent carriers don't want to do it. On the health benefit side, it's not, this is the issue. It's no problem whatsoever. They all accept it. And they even start paying the agents the very next month on the commission. It's a beautiful thing. Wish I was a, uh, wish I was a health agent, actually. Right. Um, but the broker of record letter is the insurance buyer's last resort to ensure proper service. That's what it's there for. Because if, um, using that same example, if you were the agent, Heath, and Billy Bob Plumbing became your client, you could literally do zero service for him over the course of the year. He, he says, I got a new vehicle. You can say, tough, I just don't wanna, I don't wanna process it, you know, too bad. I've got a certificate of insurance. I don't care, we're not processing certificates. Like you could provide terrible service, no service whatsoever, and he would be stuck with you for 12 months if the broker of record letter didn't exist. So the broker of record letter is the insurance buyer's last resort to ensure proper service. They get a chance to switch to another agent if they wanted to. Okay. So a lot of my, and again, uh, you know, going back to, I know you're a podcast guy too. So I've looked at the stats not too long ago, but the majority of my audience is in Arkansas or in the South. Um, but I think it's like 38% of my audience is in Arkansas. And so I, I know just about every one of them <laughs> throughout the years. Um, the thing that I hear most, there's several, uh, we're going to go through and play a little game here. I'm going to give you the, the objections and you kind of help me on that. You know what that means. We're at a mid-roll ad, and I'm super pumped uh, that we're here because uh, we've got a new sponsor in Agency Performance Partners. They want to help your agency to perform that much better, whether it's uh, through online courses or virtual meetings or even in-person meetings, or maybe you uh, heard her speak at a uh, conference or on a podcast. Uh, there's so much value that Agency Performance Partners brings to your agency, and uh, everything from the you know time management courses they do to uh, how to become a better agency to selling to cross selling to retention, all of it's there. They do a great job of it, and right now they've got a Black Friday sale going on. If you're listening to this on Black Friday, thirty percent off all swag uh, minus the Yetis. Um, also, they've got a holiday sale coming up in case you missed that. And you're listening to this in December. All through the month of December, they've got a holiday special, 25% off on all swag, minus the Yetis, but everything else, 25% off. Uh, you can also subscribe to their online school at 25% off. Man, they're just putting all kinds of sales out there. Uh, make sure you check that out, agencyperformancepartners.com. Uh, also, Kit, go without talking about my friends over at Canopy Connect. Uh, your one-click solution to getting those deck pages you need to quote your prospects. We love Canopy Connect. They do such a great job. So uh, go to usecanopy.com backslash Heath. Get your discount. Check out uh, that website. It's pretty awesome. You can also schedule a demo right there. And check out the little video that I put out there. I'd love to hear your response. So let's get back to the show. I don't get paid commission on a BOR until the renewal. So if I AOR this account in April and it renews in January, I got to go a long time without commission. Mm -hmm. What do you True. say? What's your yeah. uh, objection, your thing on that objection? Yep. And my answer to that is, wow, what a wonderful country you live in. You get a new client, you know, and the statistic is that you're going to retain that business 90% of the time. You're going to, you're going to win at the end. Yep. Better to get that client today than think that you're going to go through it and win in a quoting process where you're not right. So yeah. whoever had, getting control of it is like so important. So I get it. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes a hassle. Um, and you might have to do a little bit of work on it, but frankly, I don't know too many producers that do a ton of service. 
Like it's not like you're spending hours upon hours servicing your particular clients. So it's not like you're you know going to the the you know to the poorhouse. But you are providing value, and frankly, normally, whenever they sign a broker of record letter making you the the agent, I would say ninety nine percent of the time they're going to do business with you at renewal. So it's just um, a time. the bor feels dirty. The bor feels dirty because I do believe that some agents are underhanded, um, unscrupulous, need to be out of the insurance business, and in how they actually <laughs> administer it. Um, because sometimes there are some pretty bad insurance agents out there who will say, Hey, you know what? I need you to sign this so I can get you a quote, or, you know what? I got to get loss runs. Here's a, here's a something to sign. And I can get loss runs and they don't actually do it ethically. Um, it's not dirty. It is, it is a normal part of the process. If I can kind of flip that a little bit, I would tell those same agents, cause trust me, I've heard that one a lot, right? It's unethical. It's dirty. Um, I actually think it's unethical for you to quote. I literally think it's unethical for you to quote. The insured is likely to get a better deal from the incumbent agent representing them to the marketplace than a competing agent. Underwriters usually want to deal with the incumbent agent, not a competing one. So I actually think it is worse. It's dirtier to go through a quoting process than it is to get the B of R. Dirtier. I like it. Dirtier. By, by the way, uh, I'm going to pause for a minute to to thank uh, mine and Charles' new sponsor for our show, Billy Bob Plumbing. If you need a good plumber, <laughs> call Billy Bob. I'm just kidding. Um, so back to the show now. Um, okay, so another objection. You mentioned it a minute ago, and I get this a lot when I talk about it with agents over the last 10 or 12, 15 years. I don't have the carrier. You mentioned that. Um, what if, let, okay, let's say it is, a, let's say a $25,000 account. It's a good account. You know, mm -hmm. the agent, or it's a premium. We're talking premium here. So it's a $25,000 premium account, say, with travelers. Okay. Um, is that going to be enough premium to attract said carrier to give you an appointment for that account? Or are they going to say, I'm not going to honor this. We're going to keep it with XYZ agency. How, how does that work yeah. if you don't have the market? What's your plan? I would say probably not for a $25,000 premium account. For a $25,000 commission account, that probably be, uh, you probably would get no. the appointment. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I would say that, you know, on, on any account, regardless of whether it was a $100,000 commission account, you should probably go to the insurance carrier with a plan on what you plan to do to place more business with them over the course of the year. Not just keep this account with them, because I would do that. I would give them a plan of attack on what you plan to do to do everything you can to keep the account with them. Give them last look. You're going to help them to you know, do whatever they can to retain that business. That's what the underwriter wants. But then also give them you know, some understanding about how much time you're going to spend prospecting for their appetite to place business with them. You're not going to strong arm the insurance carrier doing anything. No. And I would say that, you know, more times than not, you don't get the appointment, but I would say one out of five, one out of one out of four, you do get the appointment if you do it right. So, yeah. And I would say uh, to a lot of my audience listening, 25 to 50 to even $75,000 premium account is a good size account for my audience. Now I know there's some people out there that say I don't go after anything unless it's a hundred thousand or more or five hundred thousand or more. I get that, you know, and that's a smaller part of the insurance population of producers. Mm -hmm. So to those that are in that that realm of ten to fifty thousand or a large account or a good size account for them, does the BOR still work? Yeah, absolutely works. Um, in fact, I mean, I have a, a perfect example with the carrier you mentioned, Travelers. You know, I was working with one of my agency clients and they got the broker record letter on um, a construction account that was a decent size account. It was like maybe $200,000 a cup premium. So it was a good size account, but they didn't have a direct appointment with travelers and travelers just wasn't willing to give them um, an appointment for construction, middle market construction, because that's what you had to have. Um, because frankly, that insurance agency really wasn't a construction powerhouse. They just got it. Okay, um, but the the carrier allowed us to go through like a network or an aggregator in order to process that broker record letter. So they wouldn't take the insurance agency on at, from a direct appointment. They said, we'll let you do it for a year. You keep it, you service it. We'll watch what you do after a year. You know, we'll then re, we'll then retalk about giving you a direct appointment. The, the next year they did get a direct appointment, but the carrier accepted the BOR through an intermediary. Ah, so... Um, since one of my wonderful sponsors is Smart Choice, that could have been something they could have done through Smart Choice. Um, you're welcome. Um, you could have done that 
through smart choice to be able to get that appointment, whether it's travelers or auto owners or, you know, state out, whoever it might be. Mm -hmm, um, that's mm -hmm. great. Um, so I, I like that approach. And so I was trying to think of other objections that I've heard throughout the years. The main one I've heard, like I said, was that, uh, the dirty and then the, I don't have the appointment. Um, yeah. so that's a tough one to get over sometimes. And I would say, you know, that, so like, um, you know, I don't want to service the account for free, right? This is the first one. It's yeah. dirty. It's unethical. Uh, the, the third one, you know, we don't have the carrier. And I would say that that one's probably like more legit, right? It is. There's a lot of times where the broker of record letter on the PNC side isn't up for grabs. You know, you don't represent the carrier and you can't get it. Uh, maybe oh. they're with a direct writer. You're, you're yeah. not going to get it, right? It's not in the, it's not in the, the realm of possibility here. There's a lot of reasons why. Maybe you're six now, months into the policy, yeah. the, the insured wants to give it to you, but the carrier doesn't accept it for three months out. Right. So now you're just kind of like waiting. What are you doing in that waiting time? Right. So there's a lot of reasons why the BOR wouldn't work. But normally, after all is said and done, it's the yeah. better option when it's available. Okay. Let's play worst case scenario or far fetched scenario because it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, it's happened to me as a producer. I'm chasing after a large account. A lot of times it's a piecemeal account together. You've got three different carriers on three yeah. different lines of coverage. Yeah. And let's say two of the three carriers, ah, that's cool. We'll go for it. And the third one, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to uh, accept the BOR on the auto because it's only a small portion of the premium or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. What what would you do in those kind of scenarios if you want to play that game? Yeah. No, we can edit this out and say, screw it. <laughs> no, man. That's it. You know, sometimes it's like that just becomes a problem, right? Right. Um, you know, to, to not even like really get in the conversation of whether or not that's good risk management, but having multiple carriers, you know, it's just, it's a problem. It's just a, a huge frustration, headache. Um, right. and I get it, you know, but which there's also a time might, like, which is why you might want to AOR and then try to put it together with one carrier. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. I would say that that's going to be a lot of the theory about what you're going to tell the insured, what right. the plan is, right. Why they're going to maybe give it to you in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's a problem. Um, I would tell you that what normally happens in those situations is that you broker over the policies that you can. If there's like a carrier on the auto who won't accept it, well, you know, unfortunately they won't. And so the insured's just going to either have to stay with that auto carrier and that agent through the end of the policy period, or we're going to do a cancel and rewrite, right? I mean, uh, for the most part, you can probably do that in some of the, the other lines, but if the insured is wanting to get away from the agent, they're going to get away from the agent. And if you have, for example, let's say I'm the, insur I'm the insurance buyer and I've got four carriers. I've got the, the comp right with one. I've got the auto with another one, general liability, and then like the property and the marina with a fourth, right? It's just, it's like kind of all over the place. If I'm the, if, if, if there's the auto carrier, right. And you've processed the BOR on all those other ones. And the auto carrier is like, I don't know if we're going to do this. Like it's almost guaranteed. They're going to lose the policy. It's like almost guaranteed. The insured has made a business decision to cut ties with your agent. Okay. They're, they're gone. They're going to lose it. So the insurance carrier now has to make a business decision. Do they want to keep the policyholder? Is it worth it to them? Right. Or do they want to cut ties? Those are the two options that they have. Many times they'll just make the, the decision. We'll go ahead and accept it. We'll, we'll allow you to, they might not give you a full-blown appointment. They might give you a provisional appointment to service it, whatever it is, but it's just, that's what's going to happen if they choose not to give it to you. So I normally say, get the broker of record letter, process the ones that you can process. You definitely have to let the insured kind of know what's going on beforehand. It's like, if you realize this is going to be an issue, inform the insured it's going to be an issue. Um, but you know, it's just, sometimes you just have to work through it. I'm not saying it's not messy. Definitely can be messy. Okay. What about uh, the objection? Uh, this had one hit me. Um, what about the objection that I'm going to make enemies out there with other producers? Do you hear that much? Like if I AWAR this account from Charles, he's going to come burn my house down or, <laughs> you know, he's going to, you know, come after yeah. me on all my accounts or uh -huh. whatever it might be. Have you heard right. that one before? You know, that's probably one I haven't heard uh, before. <laughs> so, <laughs> I may have to I mean, edit this one out, but yeah. No, I that's can. fine. I mean, I'm sure it could probably come up. Um, I would tell you that the one that I would tell you that it normally doesn't happen. I think just like in normal day-to-day -day business. However, with yeah. that said, with agents changing agencies, I would say yeah. that that's probably an issue that I would see more. Um, like if you were at an agency and you decided to leave that agency and go work for somewhere else, you know, non-competes not being in this equation and you try to take your clients. Well, you know, obviously the agency is going to say to the other producers, we're assigning these accounts to you. You got to keep it. So now those people are butting heads there, right? You know, they were once buddies and pals at the agency. Now they're, they're competitors against one another. So I could see that maybe becoming an issue. But after all is said and done, I really don't think that that's an 
that's an issue, a real kind of objection, but right. it can definitely cause some stress. I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay. So uh, uh, I appreciate you playing that with me because I do have some, some audience members out here. They are new to the, the AOR. They're new yeah. to the BOR and they do have those objections. I wanted you to go through some of that, but I do, there's a lot of benefit to the AOR, to the BOR. Um, and I, I do want you to kind of go through some of that because Obviously, the one that I think of, and you could talk on this a little bit more, not steal your thunder at all, but the one that I've used in the past when I've gotten the AOR is now I have plenty of time to really look at everything. I've got all their documents, all their loss runs. I've got, you know, all their vehicles. I've got everything right there in front of me so I can really analyze and study and not just copy the other person's work, but really look into it and say, you've got some holes here or this is going mm -hmm. on or I would improve this, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I would say that that is probably the biggest argument of why they should give you the broker record letter because you can't really get in there and digest everything right on workers compensation if i'm not the agent the adjusters won't talk to me you know the claims adjusters i can't get status right. on claims i can't contact the wcirb and try and do a you know a recalc on their xmod it's just not going to happen because i'm not the broker on record um, so, you know, there, there definitely are those reasons why, like it gives you the chance to get all the information and do a really good job for the insured. Uh, so yes, I would say that that's probably like a main reason why they should right. give you the broker of record letter. If I can take it even like, um, just the, the philosophical aspect to it. Okay. Um, at some point in the process, let's say you went through a quoting process. Okay. You win by a quote. Um, the insured has to make a willful decision to terminate the relationship with the accompanied agent to do business with you, right? They're, they're yeah. going to have to do that. They're going to have to have a conversation with John, their agent they've had for a few years to say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go with Heath, a new agent. I like his quote and his services. So the insured has to do that at some point in the process for you to win. The thought with the broker of record letter is that you're just making it happen faster. You're getting the insured. You're actually seeing what they're going to do, if they're going to do it. Um, I tell you, like, it's great to ask for it because if the insured, if you go through it all, uncover problems, show them your services, ask for the broker record letter, and they tell you no, wow, you've learned a lot about what your chances are of winning this process if you want to go through a quoting process. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've, they've said, nope, I'm staying with my agent. Wow. The loyalty is strong there. It's very unlikely you're going to win this business. And so, you know, asking for it really tells you a lot about where you, where you're at in the relationship. Yeah. I, I like that because that's a good way of doing it because, you know, we've all had to, I uh, say we all, I've had to have that conversation, you know, going through the whole, I think it was, it's been several years back, but I think it's Randy Swans, the, um, the, uh, oh, the wedge. Shoot. The wedge. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about, you're going to have to have that conversation. And when you do that, you know, the other agents going to be the incumbents because they say, well, Hey, wait a minute. I've been to all your son's baseball games. We're best <laughs> right. friends. And yeah, yeah. we had dinner together last night and drank wine together or whatever it might've been. And you're going to have to still look at that guy in the eye and say, yeah, I love you, Charles, but you yeah. know, he's doing a better job for me. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah. So we've all, you know, I've had to have that conversation. We've read that or heard that before. So this is just a way of kind of getting out of the way and kind of learning where you are now. Mm -hmm. Kind of letting them show their cards a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you you like we have to become really good at getting them to fire people. Unfortunately, right? Yeah. They they have to make a willful decision to fire that agent. And that's a tough that's a tough conversation to have. And I don't mean it to be like negative or rude, but in reality, that's what has to happen for you to win a new client. They have to stop doing business with whoever they've been doing business with. Um, but why it also makes sense is like using that same example. Like if you went through yeah. a quoting process, okay. Yeah. You probably have to be less expensive in order to win the business. Okay. You're going to have to be maybe even significantly less expensive to win right. the business, right? All things kind of being equal. Yeah. Um, it's just harder to do that. But if you already have access to it, if you get the broker record letter, you're going to be able to show up with the better right. quotes, right? If you're going through a competitive process, it's unlikely you're going to have that ability. So, uh, citizens of insurance town, if you heard this correctly, if we can, you can, you know, learn more and, you know, apply some of these principles of the AOR, the BOR. What the guy said a minute ago, 90% of the time, you're going to keep that account. You're the incumbent now. You're going to win. If some, if I could have told you at the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to have a guy to come on this show and tell you how you win the account 90% of the time. Hopefully, you know, you've listened to every every word this guy said, because I think it's it's incredible. And I love what you're doing. Um, I know right now this is a big focus for you, as we talked about prior and you talked about throughout the show of wanting to, in fact, uh, uh, impact more agents in this uh, industry. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some other things that you would want to share right now as we're wrapping up? We've got, you know, seven or eight more minutes left, but I want to make sure I give you plenty of time to talk about some other things that may be on your heart about the, the permission. Hmm. 
you know, I would say that what I'm doing right now is I'm really trying to kind of break my entire curriculum down into fewer steps, if you will. Right. There's lots of things that we can do. In fact, you know, I've got, I just sat down a couple of weeks back and put it 21 points of winning and retaining loyal clients. Like, boom, boom, do this, 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 yeah. this. That's just a lot. You know, there's just certain things that you can do. I would tell you, like, you will win more broker of record letters when the insured sees you as somebody in their industry. Okay. If you come across as a generalist, you are less likely to win the business and certainly less likely to get awarded the sign B of R. So they have to see you as someone who's micro niched into what they're doing. You have to become a professional at uncovering problems, 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 problems in the insured's industry, problems in the insured's unique business, problems in the relationship with the incumbent, problems in the relationship with the account manager, problems in relationship with the carrier, problems in relationship to the policy, problems in relationship to the final audit and so forth. You got to be uncover problems. And yeah. then the biggest issue is just that timeline of services. You need to have a very detailed 12 month timeline of services. It is really the only thing that shows the insured what they're going to get from you if they decide to choose you. Otherwise, it's just a lot of verbal exercise. Uh, we provide a lot of great service and we're going to be there to help you this and we're going to do some loss control services. And it's a lot of verbal exercise, but having it written down actually lets the insured see, oh, this is what I'll receive on March 3rd. On April 17th, I'm going to get this service. On September 14th, I'm going to receive this service. Very detailed. And so the insured then feels more comfortable with you. They can actually see what it would be like to do business with you. And then once you've done that, uncovered the problems, presented the solutions, then you have to deliberately ask for the business because I mean, at the end of the day, the insured is in their business and not the insurance business. So they don't know what they're supposed to do. They probably haven't heard of the broker of record letter themselves unless a competing agent has ever mentioned it. Because I can tell you this, incumbent agents never mention the broker of record letter to their clients, right? That never happens. So the only time an insurance buyer will ever hear about it is if another agent mentioned it. And so they don't know anything about it. They don't probably have any idea how it works. So we have to lead them down the process. I normally say that an insurance buyer, and I can say this because I work with them, um, they have the insurance mentality about a four-year-old child. They just don't know what they don't know. They really don't know what it works, uh, uh, what we're doing behind the scenes. They have no idea the difference between Heath and Charles. We all look the same. We all say the same thing. We provide good service. We've got great, great appointments, good people, right? So they don't know what to do. So we have to literally ask for the business, give them a, um, you know, what the, what the outcome is going to look like and show them that. But we have to be very deliberate in the transition. That, unfortunately, Heath, is an area in which most agents don't do a good job. They might do a good job on building the rapport, might do a good job on even like showing kind of some of the services. But asking for the business for one reason or another is very difficult for a lot of people. They're just not very good at it. And so I would say that we have to become better at asking for the business. Yeah, I like that. And cover the problem, uh, provide a solution, then ask for the business. I think that, you know, what you just said shows me and tells the audience listening that there's a lot of work that goes into this beyond, you know, signing a letter. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to make sure you can show them why they're choosing you. It's kind of almost like, you know, um, back in high school asking for a date, why should they go out with you? You know, why should they, you know. Why should they marry you? Why should they be a part of Because, you know, you're not just because you're good looking or whatever it might be, or you're right. a good baseball player. There's yeah. a lot more to it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, same thing in this is why choose you to be their agent mm -hmm. beyond, you know, I'm going to give you the same pricing. And same, no, you've got to, to show them here's the what you're going to get. Here's mm -hmm. the client experience you're going to get working with Charles Specht. Mm -hmm. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, I use that analogy a lot. Like if, if you see, you know, um, someone across the room, someone you just like, you're like, man, I want to marry that woman. Right. And you just go up to her and say, you know what? I don't know your name, but man, let's get married. Right. I mean, yeah. that would be like asking for the broker of record letter too soon. That's yeah. what a lot of agents do, and which is why it has a bad rep. Um, you just have to like get that relationship going let the insured kind of see, feel comfortable with you, feel you're yeah. a shyster. Right. So it's a bit of a process. And I would say that it's um, it's a, a completely different way of structuring your business. When you structure your business this certain way, it changes how you get clients. Okay. So if I put it this way, a lot of agents will say, I get my clients from referrals. Yeah. That's what I say. Most of those are broker of record letters, aren't they? Yep. You don't go through a quoting process. Oh, I go after referrals. What you're really telling me is that I get a lot of broker of record letters. That's right. what you're saying. So it's not a broker of record. It's not that the issue is wrong. It's the same thing if I'm, I'm using it as a prospecting tool. Um, it's just that that's the tool that's eventually used. The whole process right. is the relationship. When you have a step-by-step -step process, it will lead you to the point where more people want to do business with you than not. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, and so um, I, I love that you use the same analogy. That's funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to ask you one last question. Um, 
that, you know, how many, on average, do you say, do you normally, it takes uh, several times asking for the AOR, maybe it takes two or three years, hmm. or, you know, you need to get ready for the long haul, or do you think you can effectively teach someone or someone can effectively go in first year and get that AOR? Yeah. I mean, first year for sure. I would tell you that I, I don't have any like surveys or statistics to prove this, but I just use 15%. Okay. Yeah. Just based upon my personal experience and then working with insurance yeah. buyers that about 15% of the prospects who meet with you, they would sign your broker of record letter immediately because they do not, they do not, uh, they're not loyal. They're not happy. They're not satisfied with what they have. So 15% would sign it like immediately because they just want to be done with whoever they've got. Um, also, fifteen percent will never sign your VOR. They like they're just using you. You're the they're the, you're the police. They're like they're never going to leave their agent. So that leaves about seventy percent that are in there that are somewhere like on the spectrum between being like not loyal, neutral, and very loyal. Um, but I would tell you that the vast majority of them can that you're working with. If you're going to get the broker of record, you're probably going to get it. You know, in the first year. Okay, there's going to be some like that you get in the second year. But normally what I see a big problem with insurance agents is that they're terrible at follow-up. They just don't work on accounts the second year if they didn't get it the first year, right? I mean, if you ask for the BOR and they tell you no, and then you go through the quoting process and you didn't win, like you, I know the, the win would be taken out of my sale to want to work on that account again next year. So I would tell you that the follow-up program is usually not very good by insurance agents. But normally speaking, I would just say at least 15%, if not 20, 25, if you do it right, uncover the problems, show your services, ask for the business, the insurance buyer will see the reason why they should hire you. Oh, there you go. Uh, I think the last thing that I will say on this, and this is my, uh, my, I guess, thing that I stand on, my soapbox, so to speak, is uh, what I love the most about the BOR, especially listening to you and David Carruthers, some of the other ones that master this, is it still goes back to a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is like the strongest soapbox I stand on. You can have all, you know, I say this a lot. So audience, you've heard this before, but you can have all the technology in the world, all the smarts, you know, the policy backwards and forwards. If you don't have that relationship, you're probably not going to get the BOR. Yeah, you're definitely not going to get it, right? You're certainly not. If you don't have it, then the incumbent agent does. If you don't have the relationship, the incumbent agent does. It literally, you yeah. know, I talk about it's, it's about permission. The broker of record letter is just the document they sign. Right. You know, the permission is, do they trust you? Will you that's go out with me? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can we go out or rather get married? One of the two. Right. Those are your two options. You want to get dinner? Or you just want to go get hitched. Which one? Right. There you go. <laughs> uh, my man, I uh, really appreciate you. Talk to me uh, about some ways that people might contact you mm. or find you or follow up, the, whether they have a talk with you about, you know, religion or they want to talk to yeah. you about insurance or whatever. Yeah, man. I know if we're not already connected on LinkedIn, you know, definitely connect with me there. Um, feel free to send me an email whenever you want. Charles at permissiongroup.com. Um, but if you haven't you know, already downloaded it, go to millionaireinsuranceproducer.com and you can download my free book. I give you like seven basic steps to do in order to get that broker of record letter. Um, but if you're not already a subscriber to Permission Nation on the Millionaire Insurance Producer podcast, I advise you to go ahead and get subscribed as quickly as possible. Yes. But yeah, those are the ways you can actually reach out to me. There you go. Yeah. When you get bored of listening to this show or whatever, you go, you know, find a millionaire producer podcast. Yeah, listen to Heath awesome. first and then come back and I'll try and, you know, fill some gaps. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. I can't compete, man. Uh, man, I, I appreciate your influence on this industry, your influence on people, your dedication and your faith in the Lord. I, I just appreciate everything that you're open to talk about. And it's refreshing to see the good guys out in this industry. And I, and I appreciate you for that. And, um, you know, if there's ever anything that I can do for you, my man, uh, let me know. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you know soon when this thing will go out. Appreciate it, man. Heath, have a wonderful day. And all you listeners, go out and write some business. There you go. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to my conversation today with Mr. Charles Speck. What a great conversation that we had. I really hope that you got as much value out of it as I did. Uh, it is my goal with these podcasts to provide as much value as possible. And I want to do everything I can to help you become a better insurance professional. So thanks again. If you have not uh, subscribed to the show, please go ahead and do so. It means a lot to me. I really hope that you guys are having a great Christmas season and a great holiday season at that and uh, that it's been a, a good time for you with your family, uh, with your uh, work family, with your uh, your coworkers, 
with your friends. It's just a, a wonderful time of year. And I really uh, hope that it's been a good one for you. And uh, I hope that uh, everything is good. And I hope that Santa comes to see you. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you guys for listening. And if you have an idea for your own show, please check out my friend Ryan over at Ready, Set, Podcast. Go to GetReadySetPodcast.com. He does uh, all the hard work. You just record. He does the rest. Get Ready, Set, Podcast. Ready, Set, Podcast. Turning your brilliant idea into a reality. Thanks again, guys. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week. Mm-hmm.